Committee will come to order. Two years ago, on March 19, 2015, Sarah Saldana sat alone before a congressional committee chaired by Congressman Jason Chaffetz, Republican of Utah. Our sole witness today, I'm pleased to welcome the Honorable Sarah Saldana, Director of U.S. Immigration and Customs Enforcement. Saldana has only been ICE Director for four months. She smiles, struggling with the microphone. Chaffetz tries to help. Is it, is it should have a green light on it. President Obama has just announced executive orders that radically changed immigration in the United States. And Saldana knows Republicans are pissed. Thank you, sir. I appreciate the opportunity to testify today, and I really do mean that. Obama's orders deferred deportation for students and directed ICE to go after, in his words, felons, not families, criminals, not children. Chaffetz and other Republicans are outraged. They think prioritizing some criminals basically means other undocumented criminals don't have to worry about ICE going after them. Top priority for deportation was listed as terrorists, spies, and other threats to national security. While these should be priorities for deportation, the agency is no longer considering as the top priority for apprehension aliens who have been convicted of certain misdemeanors, including sexual abuse or exploitation. Chaffetz plays a video of people talking about loved ones who were allegedly killed by undocumented immigrants. And then Congressman Mick Mulvaney, Republican of South Carolina, tells Saldana she's simply not doing a good enough job. Saldana responds she's doing as much as she can, but she needs more help from local police across the country. And some cities, so-called sanctuary cities, don't want to help. A detainer advises other law enforcement agencies that ICE intends to assume custody of an individual before that individual is released from the agency's custody. Last calendar year... State and local jurisdictions rejected more than 12,000 ICE detainer requests. These are convicted criminals. We need to work with state and local jurisdictions who are apprehending undocumented workers for offenses against state and local law. But they're denying you the ability to do that. Some jurisdictions are. They're, Why? And I, I, I can't speak for them. Do you believe that you have the, and I'm sorry to cut you off, do you believe that you have the legal right to force them to comply with your requests? Uh, we do not have, uh, I cannot say that the detainer notices are mandatory. They are definitely discretionary. Would it help you if we clarified the law to, to make it clear that it was mandatory that those local communities cooperate with you? Thank you. Amen. Okay. Yes. So Saldana wanted Congress to change law to make local police work with ICE. And two years later, it seems like a good percentage of the American public still agrees with her. I'm for ICE and trying to help take care of our public. I believe that there should be cooperation with ICE. I do not want Portland, Oregon to be a sanctuary city. Those are voicemail left on the Otherhood hotline. I went on PRI's The World, the public radio show where Otherhood's based, and asked people to leave messages about what they wanted their cities and towns to do. And the overwhelming majority of callers want their local police to work with ICE. But Congress never changed law to force local cooperation with federal immigration authorities. And now more cities are thinking about declaring sanctuary status and not working with President Donald Trump's government. So to understand this ongoing tension, we'll look at a little bit of ICE history and go back to the person who was in charge of the agency until three months ago. The first Latina to lead ICE, Sarah Saldana. I'm Rupa Shinoy, and this is Otherhood.
10 years and counting. There have been some challenges along the way, but there are a good 10 years. How far this agency has come. ICE is really moving into its own as a sophisticated law enforcement agency. Yes, ICE made a campy happy birthday video for itself. It came out in 2013, so ICE isn't that old. After 9-11, Congress combined three departments to make the one big agency. And for a long time, expectations for ICE seemed pretty low. The second director, Julie Myers, was just glad to be mentioned in George W. Bush's speeches. This is her in the ICE video. Um, I also think it was very memorable when um, we had a chance to brief the president about ICE's specific activities, and the president That's talked in his speeches about some of the work that ICE and, was doing. And, and ICE is active. Folks are working hard. In the ICE video, Obama's director, John Morton, says he had bigger ambitions. I wanted to go from that place where people were questioning why we existed or what we were doing to that point where people recognized ICE as a major force in federal law enforcement. Morton succeeded, deporting a record number of people. Immigration activists were bitter and outraged. They said Morton was overzealous. He earned their nickname for Obama, deporter-in-chief. But it's not like conservatives liked Morton either. They thought he was too lenient. And in 2013, Morton resigned. A lot was going on at the time. A bipartisan bill on comprehensive immigration reform failed. Unaccompanied children fleeing violence in Central America were crossing the border into the U.S. in record numbers. In November 2014, Obama took matters into his own hands with his executive orders on DACA and prioritizing criminals for deportation. That incensed Republicans who said ICE should follow the law, not Obama's directives. And that was the pitched battle Sarah Saldano walked into when she was sworn in as ICE director a month later. Saldana's from Corpus Christi, near the bottom of Texas. She was the youngest of seven kids. Her dad was a plumber and her mom was a nurse. Saldana was an eighth grade language arts teacher before going to law school. She became an assistant U.S. attorney in Dallas, the first Latina in that position. And she focused on cases of public corruption, putting a Dallas deputy mayor in jail for bribery. When Obama nominated her for ICE director, she was easily confirmed. Saldana thought the job would give her a platform to advocate for immigration reform. It sounds a little foolish, doesn't it? I, I was hoping to be a rational voice in this area of such emotion and reactive approaches. But the pressure and intense scrutiny never let up. Saldana was constantly criticized by pretty much everybody, especially Republicans. Congressman Mike Bishop of Michigan, in a September 2016 congressional hearing, expressed his ongoing frustration that ICE couldn't overcome the sanctuary city roadblock. As a former prosecutor, I, I'm just wondering how you can continue to square the existence of sanctuary cities with the duty of a prosecutor to ensure justice. These cities that you're talking about, sir, have their own laws over which I have no control. All I can do is to use my best persuasive powers. While fighting those public battles, inside ICE, Saldana was transitioning the agency into one that could follow not only law, but also a president's executive orders. Now her 20,000 former employees have been told to follow Trump's executive orders. 
And he wants to triple the number of immigration enforcement officers, drastically expand government priorities for deportation, and speed up the deportation process. Saldana's watching it all play out on the news like everyone else. She's back home in Texas, unpacking boxes. It's it's a, it's strange. It's a little it's very strange, and it's I will tell you it's disheartening. So I asked her if she regretted anything she did while at ICE that's making it easier for the Trump administration now. Not at all. Not at all. I'm very proud of the thoughtfulness and deliberative approach to immigration that in the face of not having comprehensive immigration reform, the president and his administration took. Were you successfully getting to the most serious criminals with the Obama administration policies? Absolutely. We were at about a 98% level of the folks in detention were serious criminals or gang members. So that's a pretty good rate. I don't know how you improve on that. I guess you can, but it's not going to happen if you're focusing on families or removing mothers who have no criminal records. There's only a limited number of resources And I haven't heard anything from Congress saying they're going to open the checkbook to the tune of $300 billion, which is what some estimates are for complying with this executive order and actually removing 11 to 12 million people. We know what the Trump administration has said it's trying to accomplish. How much do you think will have to be carried out in cooperation with local authorities? They're saying they're going to enlist the help of local law enforcement to a greater extent than we did. Uh, It is considered such a complex and sensitive operation that we have, during the Obama administration, limited the use of state and local law enforcement because it requires training. It requires knowing all the federal regulations. So we used certainly uh, local law enforcement to a great extent. And you can use a couple of different means. You can use the daily cooperation between uh, law enforcement, as I mentioned first. You can look at the approach under 287G. Where the federal government, ICE, comes in and trains local police and deputizes them as ICE agents. That's correct. If you're going to get done in the numbers of what the administration is talking about, If you're going to get that done, it's going to require a whole lot more people apprehending immigrants than before. They're also talking about 10,000 agent uh, increase within ICE itself. That's going to be a difficult process to go through. That's going to take some time because of the background checks. It takes a while to hire somebody. So 10,000 people, that's going to take, in my opinion, years. And so I suppose that's where they're trying to uh, look to, is to local law enforcement to assist in that regard. But how much does that cost cities and towns? Some people who called into the Otherhood hotline were worried about that. This is Troy from Hearst, Texas. My tax money should not be used to hold federal lawbreakers in county jail. Besides that, just ain't right. Most of these people, they're nonviolent. Somebody has not paid a ticket, that doesn't make you a criminal. Hey, my name is Jeffrey, and I'm calling from Sacramento, California. I don't want my local law enforcement to help ISIS. I need them to take care of local problems. I don't need my tax dollars to go for them to go help ICE. Before dealing with how much working with ICE costs cities and towns, 
I wanted to be sure I understood how ICE works with cities and towns. So I laid out what I thought I knew for Saldana. Local police departments, when they book people that they've arrested, they run those fingerprints also through ICE. And if ICE has placed something called a detainer on a person, the local authorities have the choice to hold them for ICE or not. And a detainer is holding a person that you've arrested 48 hours longer past the point when they would have been released to give ICE time to come do what they want to do with the person. You've got it exactly right. With respect to the procedures under the Obama administration, it is very hard for me to predict how this administration is going to go about the business of detainers. The Obama administration contemplated detainers only in certain circumstances, typically where there was enough evidence already gathered to show probable cause that that person needed to be apprehended. But yes, detainers represented a tremendous source of conflict and litigation, and you can see why, just practically speaking. You don't have authority or a charge or jurisdiction to keep that person beyond that period of time. Under the Trump administration, no one seems to be looking at that distinction, uh, and I think it's going to present a challenge to this administration if they try to use that carelessly because it's already been the source of a lot of litigation, and I think we have a good idea of what the courts will and will not accept. All right. You also mentioned 287G, that super dry name for the program where the federal government deputizes local police as ICE agents. When that happens... Do they need detainers to hold people, or can they just hold people as ICE agents for as long as they want? That's exactly the way it would operate, and that's why ICE really appreciated the use of the 287G program, because it allowed them to essentially hand over their function to local law enforcement for them to step in the shoes of a federal agent. And so, no, there would be no need because now you're not essentially requesting a local law enforcement agency to do something for you. They're actually acting in your stead. Do you think that's problematic? The problem in it is if those individuals are not properly trained or properly supervised, which 287G contemplates, then you're opening the door for potential problems like abuse. And uh, I think we've seen enough in recent times that there can be real issues when it comes to local law enforcement's apprehension of individuals. It can lead to almost more problems for the federal government than it would have been if they had just used their own federal agents. So 287G is voluntary. Local police departments don't have to participate. So why would they? Is there an incentive? Well, there's the political issue. There are elected officials who have run on platforms of removing immigrants from the community. So I, I think that's the one advantage they have. They can be compensated for certain expenses. They're not paid by the United States, but they can be compensated for expenses. So I presume that is another reason why. But I've heard many counties complain that they need compensation and reimbursement of expenses to a much greater extent than we uh, do currently. But when properly trained and supervised, local law enforcement can be very helpful to immigration authorities, which cannot be everywhere. There's only 6,000 immigration officers within ICE across the country. So 287G can be used, but you can't use it carelessly, recklessly, 
and without proper training and monitoring. And that's why we had only 37 jurisdictions or so, which were using it at the time that I left ICE. That's 37 local jurisdictions out of thousands in the country. So not many participated under Obama. And just the thought of local authorities working with ICE worried many other hood hotline callers. Hi, uh, I'm Barbara from Dallas, Texas, and I do not agree with ICE using our local law enforcement. There is a clear separation of what local police officers and national are supposed to do, and I do not appreciate having them come in and utilize the sources that are we are supposed to see as someone to turn to in the time of need to instead use them to intimidate the citizens of my city. Hi, my name is Elizabeth. I'm calling from Bellingham, Washington. I feel like ICE is way overreaching their power and the boundaries. I believe in sanctuary cities. So let's talk about sanctuary cities. But first, let's get clear on what sanctuary cities are. Why is the term sanctuary city problematic for you? It means so many different things to many people that it becomes meaningless. There's some folks who use that term to describe anybody who doesn't approach immigration the way that an administration wants it approached. It can close the door entirely to Immigration and Customs Enforcement. Or it can mean that they only want to turn over certain serious offenders. All of these different approaches are often used to describe a sanctuary city. And to me, that is not the focus of what our approach should be. Our approach should be rational. Let's focus on the most serious criminals. So that if a community is assisting with respect to turning over from their county and and state and local jails, then they are not a sanctuary city. They're actually cooperating with the United States in a rational manner. And we shouldn't lump all these people together. To me, Unless we know what we're talking about and we all have the same definition moving forward, I would not refer to a sanctuary city. Dallas, where I am sitting right now, county has what it calls a cooperative approach to immigration. They want to see people in the community not have fear needlessly. And so they have said, we welcome you and we're only going to focus on the most serious criminals. So that, some would call it a sanctuary city. In my view, it is not. I was just talking to the mayor of Austin, Steve Adler, who told me that there have been ICE operations there. I asked him, because he said that some people in Austin called 911 when ICE officers showed up. And I asked him if local police would ever protect undocumented immigrants, you know, if they're not charged with a crime. Is that a really dumb question? No, it's not at all. I think local law enforcement needs direction. Presumably, In Austin, I don't know what the answer was. I'd be very curious to know what it is, but presumably the difference between inaction and protection is significant. Protection contemplates actually doing something to get between ICE authorities and the immigrant. Inaction is simply letting things stand as they are. So I'd I'd be very curious to hear what response you got. He said that uh, that's not their job, to get in federal authorities' way. Yeah. Well, and uh, I would actually agree with him wholeheartedly on that point. That, that really becomes a difficult issue for those communities that are, that are saying that they're actually going to be 
cooperating more with ICE. What do you train your local law enforcement people to do, and what do you say in terms of you've got a full-time job already and you're going to take on immigration? That's a lot to demand of our local law enforcement officers. It seems like these cities that are taking a more resistant approach to Trump policies are on some kind of collision course with the administration that will end up in courts and things like that. And it seems like a lot of things could get them there. What do you think is going to be the point where, you know, it has to come to some kind of head? Well, I think we're already there. I think you've got a number of communities. The entire state of California, the the state government itself is taking the bull by the horns and, and moving forward on all kinds of litigation, ordinances, and state initiatives to protect immigrants. I mean, affirmatively protect them, not just turn the other way. So I think it's it's going to come to a head much sooner than later. This is one of the reasons that I feel so strongly about this, is when you know that there's going to be this conflict, why not, like so many other issues, try to work with local officials to come to a resolution that makes sense for those communities? This is what we were doing under the Obama administration. It was difficult work. It was frustrating. You have people who don't particularly want to work with you, but do have the goal of protecting the the public. We had identified at ICE 25 jurisdictions which represented the majority of jurisdictions which were not cooperating with us. And we ended up getting 17 to cooperate with us in a meaningful way. What do you think about President Trump's threat to cut off funding to sanctuary cities? The administration is relying in some, to some degree on a statute uh, in the Immigration Nationality Act. It is what this administration has been relying upon to say, if you don't cooperate, we're going to take your federal funds away. It's Section 1373 for those who like to keep up with things like that. But it talks about jurisdictions not passing laws, ordinances, or doing anything that gets in the way of maintaining or sharing of citizenship or immigration status information. The scope of that has been the subject of much discussion. Can you really use that provision to force local jurisdictions to cooperate with ICE? It's very narrow if you look at it, and I'm a lawyer by training. It really just talks about sharing citizenship or immigration status information. It doesn't necessarily talk about you must gather that information to begin with, or secondly, that if you fail to do so, federal funds will be taken away. I don't think we have really gotten to a point where a definitive determination has been made that this can actually be used as a sword against local jurisdictions, but there's a lot of litigation out there on this subject of can you take away a a fund, let's say for highways, from a local jurisdiction because you don't like the way they did something with respect to airport security. The courts say usually there has to be a connection between that provision and what you're trying to take the money away for. So it remains to be seen what's going to happen here, but that's something you're going to be hearing about. There are other things Trump said he wants to do that he seems to be moving forward on, like the wall along the border with Mexico. How effective do you think that wall might be? There is no physical barrier that can be successful in keeping out immigrants from this country based on what they're running away from, either from Central America, 
some very difficult situations in terms of crime and the lack of government support to economies that are just not working for people and they're being left out and they're, they're having to feed their families. There is no wall that's going to keep them out. So the physical barrier, uh, I think, might make some people feel better, but it's an awfully expensive and ineffective way, in my opinion, to try to get people to comply with our immigration laws. But making people feel better, that's about emotion. And emotion was what Saldana wanted to separate from the conversation about immigration two years ago, back when she took the job as ICE director. But now she seems to acknowledge that emotion can't always be avoided. And that seemed evident in the Otherhood Hotline voicemail. My name is Tony. I'm calling from Miami. It's clear, cut, simple. If you are illegal, you have no rights. No rights, no subsidized food, no housing, no driver's license, no free education. You have no rights. Doesn't matter that you're a hardworking, family-loving man. You don't get a pat on the back for that. You don't get a first strike or, gee, it wasn't a big deal. If you are illegal, you have no rights. Thank you. Hi, my name is Elise. Calling from Phoenix, Arizona. I understand feeling bad for people who want a better life and can't get it in their own country. What I don't understand is why they don't stay home and make their own country better. People come to the United States, they break the law, and then when they get caught, they cry about it because, oh, boo-hoo, I'm going to get kicked out. I don't feel bad for them. It's wrong. It's flat-out wrong, which is why it's called illegal immigration. I can't walk around breaking laws and get away with it. So people are frustrated simply by the fact that undocumented immigrants are in the United States. But confronting that problem at its core would require a lot of resources, like money and space, which costs money. When ICE detains undocumented immigrants, most often they end up in private detention facilities paid for by taxpayers. Sometimes they wait there for months, even years. Trump wants to build more public detention facilities, but Saldana's already looked into that. While you were ICE director, you investigated the possibility of stopping the use of private detention facilities, right? And you concluded the whole system was way too dependent on them. The ACLU has alleged abuses in these facilities. One of the two big companies confirmed that they and a subsidiary donated $475,000 to a Trump PAC and to inauguration festivities. So, I mean, how did you wrestle with the, the moral questions around the U.S. government paying private companies to hold thousands of people? The alternative to that is hiring hundreds of thousands of employees at ICE to do it themselves. Congress does not have the appetite to fund that. We're talking about billions of dollars. Trying to tackle immigration in a piecemeal manner, that is building a wall here, uh, trying to, to remove certain people you weren't removing before there, is just really a fool's errand. It, you really need to look at the entire issues related to Im- immigration reform because it is uh, essential to try to have a rational approach to these things as opposed to these emotional responses we're getting where people feel like they're keeping campaign promises, but they're not really considering 
all that comes with that. There are 11 to 12 million people, some estimates are even higher, that are waiting, along with the citizens that know many of these people, for an answer to how are you going to go about tackling our presence here and yet not scare these folks to death. There is really no reason for that. We can go about this in a rational way. My concern with the way this administration is approaching these issues is they almost feel it's part of their strategy to instill fear in the immigrant community when it is so unnecessary if you were to tackle the entire immigration issue in a rational way and comprehensively as the Obama administration, as I asked for the last two years, to try to tackle these issues and we don't seem to be getting people's attention on this. If they are intentionally trying to instill fear, as you said, I mean, what what's the goal? I think the goal is to discourage people from staying in the country or coming into the country. But the idea that scaring people, and I'm talking about kids, mothers, fathers, families, just because you think it'll make a difference in meeting your campaign promises, I think it's just going about it all wrong. Sarah, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. Sure. Thank you. I had a good time. Just one additional thought. The U.S. has been defined by its divisions in the past. Think North and South. Whatever's happening now won't be as clear-cut as the Civil War, at least geographically. This time, the divisions will be city by city and county by county. But it seems really significant that the U.S. is, again, facing a time when a group of people will consider themselves safer in some parts of the country than others. As always, send me your thoughts and feedback. Message me on Facebook or tweet me at Rupa Shinoy. One last thing. March is Tripod Month here at PRI and at public radio stations across the country. The idea is for you to recommend podcasts to each other and to me. Tweet with the hashtag Tripod, T-R-Y-P-O-D, and share what podcasts you love. For Otherhood producer Catherine Whalen and myself, Thanks for listening to this podcast. I'm Rupa Shanoi, and this has been Otherhood from PRI.